Father, we just realize as we come before you today that you are so unlike us. And that you are holy and we're not. And so because of that very fact right there, you're, you are often really hard to get. You who live in heaven. So we thank you for Jesus who lived here on earth. Who experienced everything that we experience. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. We thank you for that. But Lord, I just want to pray right now for every person in this room who feels buried. And that you might just bring hope today. And I pray for everyone who's never been buried. That this might just equip them for the future. Most of all, we just ask that you might just, just anoint the rest of today. So you can say exactly what you want to say. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love some of the words, man. I don't know if you caught all the words of that song. But I love that combination there of uh, <clears throat> while you're up there, <laughs> you're just playing hard to get. And, um, and on this journey that we're on, um, I don't know if you've ever felt like David before. <laughs> Have you ever been there? Because... When you read Psalm 57, lots of times when we read Scripture, we just read it. We, just, we don't stop and think about what was really going on in this guy's head. <laughs> what was he really thinking? And whenever, when you read the Psalms of David, one of the things that's so amazing is he cries out. He's incredibly honest with God. He asks the tough questions that many times we don't feel like we can ask. But at the same time, he's praising him. And that's what we try to show there, that when you go in this journey with God sometimes, it's like there's this incredible tension back and forth where you want to believe he's trustworthy, where you want to believe that he's good, and yet what you feel and what you think just won't allow you to do that. And, um, and our feelings, our circumstances that we're in in our life, the thoughts that we have, we find they, they fight our faith, and they fight who God is, and they fight what he's done for us. And, um, and I just want to let you know today that at K2, we call this all the time, that if you give your life uh, to Christ, if you become a follower of Jesus Christ, we say, you will go on an adventure with God. And again, so again, I just looked up, what does it mean? By very definition of adventure, it means to undertake something that involves uncertainty and risk. That's what it is. If there's no sense of the unknown, if there's no sense of a potential challenge or even a potential danger, then that's not an adventure. It might be a tour, right? It might be a trip or maybe a vacation, but it's not an adventure unless there's uncertainty and potential danger and risk that you don't know about. And I just want to tell you this here right now, so just hear me. We have one guarantee for you. Oh, no, that's not true. We have lots. But here's one. Here's one guarantee, that if you receive Christ into your life, then you will receive one who calls the shots. That's why he's called the Lord, <laughs> and we're not. He's God, and we're not. So he calls the shots. And the other thing, when you receive Christ into your life, you receive one that you can't put in a box 
And we love to do that as humans. We love to figure things out. And we like to know how God works, and we get it all the way that we think it's going to be manageable, right? You know, we want a manageable God, which is really pretty scary if you think about it. But when you get Christ inside of you, I'm going to tell you, God is not afraid to lead you into unimaginable things. Things you never thought, things you never hoped for. He's going to take you on places like Salt Lake City that you never thought. And he's going to do with things that you never dreamed. And here's the other thing about God. Is he does not shy away from allowing or sometimes causing his children to be in pain. He doesn't have a problem with that. And if you think he does, then just look at Jesus. He had no problem letting his very own begotten son suffer and die. And the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, the kids are this, this lion. I don't know if many of you have read that book or you saw the movie. And uh, the lion is called Aslan, and he's the Jesus figure in the book. And the kids are going, well, is he safe? And they come back and they go, no, he's not safe. But he's good. That's one of the classic lines in all of the literature. God isn't safe, but he's good. And so for some of you coming in here today, I'll just be totally honest with you. This, this stage is probably not going to make a whole lot of sense to you. <laughs> or um, it'll be hard for some of you to understand. Because I really believe that this critical journey, this is our fifth week, that what we're going to talk about today, it doesn't really happen until you've been walking with Christ for a while. Um, it's usually a step of really wanting you to grow in your maturity. And, and so if you haven't been there, it can be kind of frustrating when you know somebody who isn't there, okay? Because if you're in the captivated stage, everything's wonderful, right? And you look at something like this and you go, whoa, whoa, what's, what's up with that? If you're in the grounded phase, everything's right. You understand things. You've been studying the Bible. <laughs> and you get very secure. And then you see other people struggling. You don't get that. Come on, just read, read the Word. And then, for those of you who are in the valuable stage, that's a stage where it feels like you have tons of energy to give, and you're fruitful. You do stuff, and other people like it, and you're like, this is awesome. And then you look over here at the person who's buried, and you're like, come on, you know, sign up for the connections team. Let's go. You know, we got some stuff to get done around here. And last week, if you're in the unsettled phase, then you have lots of questions, and you have doubts. And as Andy shared last week, which I thought was a great picture is that unsettled phase and those doubts are often a doorway to faith. When I was listening to the message last week, I thought, here's the difference between last week and this week, because they're both hard. But last week, when you're unsettled, it's like you have, you, you know what's confusing you. <laughs> you have questions, you're reading things and you don't get them, and so you want to ask questions about that. Um, you have doubts, but they stem from questions that are inside of you. When you're buried... You don't even know the questions to ask. It's not originating from within you, which doubt does. It feels like something's being done to you. And you don't even want to ask questions. You start to not even want to think about it. 
And I'll just be totally honest. You know, the other thing that's really hard when you're in this phase is nobody else gets it. So you feel like, you feel buried, but then you feel like you need to be even buried more because if I let you know what I'm thinking right now, you're going to think I'm weird. You're going to really struggle with me if I'm honest with you. So it's a very, very confusing, very, very strange phase to be in. And I just, um, I just want to, one thing I feel like I need to tell all of you is that when you see someone struggling like this, you automatically want to help, right? Because, I mean, who wants to see people, you know, whoa, feeling the heaviness and the weight and the, the down? And so seriously, I mean, if you are captivated, you want to go, come on, it's the joy of the Lord, you know? And if you're buried, you want to say, that. <laughs> and if you're grounded, you want to give some of your understanding so that they can have the confidence you have. If you're valuable, you want to say, well, and you're valuable too. You've got stuff to offer. You know, and if you're unsettled, you want to go to this person, go ahead, ask your questions, ask them. And you just sit there and you go, I don't even know what to ask. And he's not answering me. <laughs> anyway, it's a weird stage. And I'll be totally honest with you, here's why it's weird. I don't think God wants anybody to help you out of it. Okay? When you're buried, there's a reason. And God's not interested in having other people have pity on you. And, um, and I just want to say, here's another reason it's weird for all of you. If you have never been buried, but you're on the critical journey, this may not feel very applicable to you today, but I want to tell you, man, take notes, <laughs> write it down, and stick it in your back pocket and have it for when the day comes. Because it'll come. I also want to say this about the stage. This is not a stage that gets brought on by sin. Okay? Now, it feels like that. And, and if you do live in sin, lots of times it'll feel like this. But when God buries you, it's not because you've been bad or because you're doing something wrong. Okay? It's also not depression. All right? It feels like depression. But for those of you who struggle with depression or maybe have chemical depression and you, you, you need medication to help you through it, I just by my eyes totally support that. I know there's chemical, physical imbalance that happens. That's different than this too. When you get buried, it can feel like that, but it's something that God's doing. It's dark, it's lonely, it's painful, it's confusing. And what's weird is the one who loves you the most is the one who takes you into it. <laughs> so, being unsettled and having doubts and questions is a doorway to faith. Being buried is a doorway to holiness. It's a doorway to holiness. And I remember, as a, as a Christian and as a pastor, I remember thinking, here's the stages of what it means to be a follower of Christ. A seed gets planted into your heart, right? You guys come, you hear a seed, Jesus used that illustration, and a seed gets planted in your heart. And then eventually, once it finds good soil, then it takes root, right? And you start to actually believe this stuff. And then once you have your faith in Christ, then you start to grow, right? Have we kind of gone through this whole thing? And then after you grow, then you become fruitful and you give your life away. And that's the Christian life. And it's awesome. And then when I was actually in one of these phases, thank you to God, he, I went and I heard somebody speak on John chapter 15. Um. And listen to this. 
John chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. And he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So go ahead and throw this picture up of these apples. Like, I'm from Michigan, and and all of us who moved here from Michigan to start K2, one of the hardest things for us is the fall when we can't go to all of our wonderful apple orchards because they're just all over the place, and we love this. And when when you see this, you know, this fruitfulness, and when you go to the apple orchard, and they're, they're, you know, in fact, I had apple trees in my front yard, and it's green, and it's lush, and these red apples are stuck all over it, and it's just like, oh, it's awesome. And I always used to think, man, I can't wait till that's what I am in Christ, right? Where my life is fruitful, I got love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and self-control. I have stuff to offer other people. This is going to be the greatest life, and then I get to go to heaven. And then Jesus said, hey, guess what? And when you be it fruitful, guess what I'm going to do? Put up the other picture. Yeah, isn't that great? That'd be awesome. And uh, I'm telling you, that was the most hopeful thing I ever heard in my life. Because I would have been a pastor for 10 years. And that's what I looked like. How, how fruitful is that guy right there? See, that's what's so weird. So here you are, you're this fruitful person, and then you start looking like this. Now, you want to tell you what? That's when all the people around you start going, dude, what is up? What happened to you? Where's your faith? Where's your confidence? Where's your joy? And you're sitting there going, I have no idea. Until I heard the message, oh, Dave, I'm so glad you're fruitful. Okay, just hold on. (laughs) Happened to me about three or four times in my life. And I know there's more. The first one, the first time it happened to me, I was in college. I had just given my life to Christ when I was 19 years old, and I gave him everything. I've shared this story many times here, but I gave up everything for Christ, and it was, I was on a spiritual high. Remember, I, in the first one, I captivated, I talked about this. For a year and a half, man, it was like, whoo, this is awesome. It was just this one issue inside of me. I remember thinking, you know what, I think I can pretty much do whatever I want, and now I've got God. Okay, that should have been really weird to you to hear that, because... I started looking at myself in the mirror and realizing I'm way, I'm way too full of myself. I have a lot of self-confidence, and I feel like I can do whatever I want to do, and now I've got God, kind of my sidekick. I'm Batman. He's Robin, you know. Um, and so I was rolling with God, and so I, I decided one day to, to have him get rid of this in me. <clears throat> so I went to a Christian college, and I, I went to the chapel, which was a historic place where God met people, you know. And so I went in there, and I literally closed every door in the whole chapel, up in the balcony, all the balcony doors, all the doors, because I was going to meet with God right there at that altar. And if you, any of you are in the Methodist church, you know what the altar is, baby. That's a holy place. I got all the way down. This is no lie. I looked up, and there was one door that was open like by two inches, and I'm like, oh, 
And I ran all the way up into the balcony and closed the door because I was going to have a holy time with God. And I got on my knees before God and I said, God, I am not leaving this place until you rid me of myself. Now, that may sound like a young faith thing. to I'm telling you, I believed with all my heart that when I got up from that altar, he was going to have done a work in my heart. And I was not going to be about me anymore. And the janitors came in, they kicked me out, nothing happened. <laughs> and um, so I went through the rest of my junior year. It was the summer after that year I felt God call me into ministry. Now I'm pumped again. I come back my senior year. I'm leading the whole freshman class as a senior class sponsor. And then all of a sudden, I lost it. I lost, I mean, I lost it. All of a sudden, I couldn't give a rip about anybody. Eric Winter, who's on staff with me, my best friend for years, I couldn't care for Eric. I was all of a sudden like publicly ridiculing people. I was the nice guy. And now I'm the guy who don't get too close to me because I'm going to rip on you. I mean, I lost everything that I thought was Dave. I couldn't be it anymore for like a year. And that's when I decided to become a youth pastor. I thought, this would be great. Kids will come. I'll rip on them, send them home. Parents are going to love me. You know, this will be awesome. I get to my, my first job, 22 years old. I get out of college. I have no idea what I'm doing. I read two books on youth ministry and started. That was my training. So all I did was pray from 9 till noon and just ask God to help me. And then I tried to figure out something to do in the afternoon. And then all of a sudden, about three weeks in, God showed up. And I know we'd say, we have messages, series on does God speak to you. I'm telling he speaks to you. I've never heard his audible voice. But if he lives inside your heart, he speaks to your spirit and your soul. And I swear God said to me, David, that's you without me. So you think you can do whatever you want and you got me as your sidekick and you want to get rid of yourself? See, here's how God does it. He goes, tell you what, I'm not doing this altar thing. You know, thanks for, thanks for the suggestion. But I'm going to actually just step aside here for a minute. And in like a minute to me is like a year. And I'm going to let you see what you're like for a year. That's what I was like. And I tell you what, man, when he came back and said, Dave, you need to understand, even the love you have for people comes from me. You got nothing. And that's what John 15 says. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But with me, you can do all things. My second one, I'm not going to go into detail, but I'll never forget. I was driving out to Colorado, and it was a beautiful sunny day, and I was cruising out to go take some Greek classes for seminary. And all of a sudden, I get into eastern Colorado, right? That's a beautiful part of the country. Uh, just nothingness. And, uh, and I can see the mountains like forever away. And uh, all of a sudden, there's just this black line that's just coming towards me. And I'm heading into it, and it's coming towards me. And right when it kind of started to take me over, I looked at my gas. I needed to get, get some gas. So I got out of my car to get some gas. And I'm telling you, man, I was in that storm two weeks ago, the one that really hit. I was driving to Park City in that monster, you know. And that was like that, except I get out of my car, and it was like, you know. <laughs> now, that was pretty, pretty, uh, never mind. <clears throat> it, it was so 
strong and powerful that, I mean, literally, I had to lean into it just to even stand up. And I get back in my car, and I'm driving, and all of a sudden I had this thought. If I would have flown to Colorado instead, right, I'd be above the clouds. And what would be true above the clouds? The sun would be shining, you know. I would have a completely different perspective. And I'll never forget, I just felt like God told me, it's like, hey, the storm's coming. Storm's coming. Make sure you remember, storms come and they go. But the sun is always shining. I'm telling you. That was 13 years ago. That is a truth you got to hold on to. Storms come. That was the nastiest thing, man. But they go. The next morning was beautiful. And the sun is always shining. Third one for me happened when I went to school, when I went out to California. I've shared pieces of that for you here. But I've always felt the way I've described it, it's kind of why we titled this, I felt like God dug a hole, threw me in, and just covered me over with dirt. I was very passionate for God, been doing ministry for I don't know how many years, serving him, and I feel like God just took me away. See, here again, so I'm fruitful, right? I'm that apple tree. And then in 1997, he just decides, you know what? Time to whack away again. And, and I just sat there, and I, just, I got to this point, and I, I just feel like God said, you know what, David? I used to be your passion, but now your passion is ministry. Your significance, your security, everything, it's not me anymore. And see, like I know for all of us in this room, we all got stuff that, that it is instead of God. One thing I'd heard, I learned about God is the closer you get to him, the less willing he's to accept you being, getting your affection from something else besides him. <laughs> You know, Susie's sitting here. There's no other woman. There's no other woman at all who's going to grab my affection. And if it did, I mean, it's wrong. Hopefully she would be jealous towards me, right? And I would be jealous if something else started to get her affection more than me. I just want to tell you, God's no different. And so he decided to say, well, I'll tell you what. So you like ministry, huh, Dave? (laughs) How about if I just take you away from that? Oh, you like friends too? All right, I'll take all those guys away too. Oh, you like speaking, singing, leading? I don't want you to do any of that. Throw me in, cover me over with dirt. And I'm telling you, it was really, really, really dark in there. I'll never forget the day where I was just laying on the ground in my apartment and I just, I'm done. I'm, just, I'm done. And I just, I'm weeping face first on my carpet. And I just, I'm ready to go home. I can't handle it anymore. And God knows us, right? I'm this football junkie. He whispered in my ear again, in my soul, and I felt like he said, keep going. Keep going. See, because when you're, when you're in football practice or base, basketball practice, baseball's too wimpy, but football practice, or I played baseball, but football or basketball, I mean, the coach works you so hard that you're in pain. 
and you're in agony. I remember puking after practice, feeling like I can't take one step more. And why do they do that to you? Because they're, you know, because they just want to see you in pain? Sometimes it is true, but, but I remember, I felt like God was saying to me, Dave, I want you to be all pro. But if you're going to be all pro, we got some work to do. And I remember laying there on my face on the ground just saying, okay, God, if this is for somebody else, if this is for what you want to do in my life, then I'll let you do it. And I remember I had four prayers that I prayed while I was there. You might want to write these down. They really worked for me. Number one, I said, Lord, please help me to learn everything I need to learn. My second prayer was, this is while I was in seminary, but I said, please help me to get your vision and not for my life and not mine. I don't want to leave and move into the next phase of my life with my idea. Give me your vision for my life. And then my third prayer was, and give me the character to handle the vision. Ah, that was the wrong one to pray. But you want to pray that because you do not want a responsibility that you don't have the character to handle. You don't. And then my fourth prayer was, and help me to build the relationships to be able to accomplish the vision. See, but in Romans 5, 3, it says, Rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And all of a sudden, when you're suffering and when you're dark and when God doesn't make any sense, you go, man, he's building character. He's doing something. He's giving me something that right now I don't have. It's deep surgery, you guys. Basically, being buried is deep surgery. That's what he does. You know, because when you're not feeling well, what we like to do is take ibuprofen or Tylenol, or right? Or we just, what we do is we try to kind of just take care of the symptoms. You know, I got a runny nose, got to go get some uh, whatever, Theraflu. And we all know that that doesn't heal anything. That just kind of masks the symptoms. See, and in life, we do that. But God goes, I'm not going to mask the symptoms. I'm going to dig deep and I'm going to go in and I'm going to cause some major pain here because I'm going to do surgery in your soul to get rid of the thing that's causing the pain. And you have a father who loves you enough for that. Many of you know this, but I haven't talked about it in a while, but Mariah, our oldest daughter, when she was born, had a hemangioma on her face. I almost threw up a picture because it's just freaky when you see it. But it was this birthmark that just grew like Medusa. Just, it was just covering her whole right side around her eye and her, this cheek. It looked like she had a golf, not a golf ball, like a some baseball because she was so little, but her whole cheek was all puffed out. And it, was just, and it just kept growing and growing and growing. It was just the whole side of the face. So you have this three-month little baby that you have to set in and have her go through the, uh, the MRI deal, you know, knock her out and have her go in there. And then we find out that this Medusa thing that's called hemangioma was not just on the outside, it was growing in. And it was wrapping itself around her optic nerve. And if we didn't stop it immediately, she would lose her sight. I'm telling you, man, what a, just years of really difficult stuff and I'll never forget when we took her to New York City just a couple years ago to try to do some surgery to help get rid of the red and the bulk and all this kind of stuff. And they literally, they just, they just took her skin right off, you know. And then they send you home. And they say, okay, mom and dad, now you have to wash that three times a day. I remember the nurse looked at us and she goes, I'm so sorry. She goes, we got to come up with a better solution because this is just, it's horrific. And it was. I mean, Susie would have to hold her down 
and then I'd have to go and rub that. Can you imagine? No skin, and you just rubbing it to clean it three times a day. I remember after three days, man, we put her to bed. I just collapsed. I'm like, God, God, how, do I have to keep causing my daughter pain? I don't know if I can keep causing my daughter pain. And you just want to quit. But you can't quit because you know this is what you have to do to love her. You guys, you have a father in heaven who knows the spiritual hemangiomas in your life, who knows the things that aren't right, that are digging deep into your soul, that have your mind all twisted and cause you to think things that aren't true, that cause you to behave in ways that you don't want to behave, that cause your relationships to fall apart, that cause your addictions to rule you. And do you want a God who says, well, I just want you to be happy? No, you want a God who says, I don't care how much this hurts. I'm taking you down, I'm going to hold you down, and I'm going to do surgery to save your life. And it feels like hell. And it hurts. But I'm telling you, if you walk with Christ for any length of time, eventually he's not just going to go, hey, isn't this fun? See, God's not so interested in your happiness. He is, but not as the world gives happiness. He's interested in your wholeness, your holiness, to make you everything that you were meant to be. And that results in happiness, way more than what you and I are trying to do our own way. And that's our God. And so in the last minutes I have, I just need to take you through, just real quick, a saving passage. It's Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, this is what got me through California. In these, these times of God doing this for me. The first, the verses I'm going to start with is starting in verse uh, uh, 7. And it says, Endure hardship as discipline, for God is treating you as sons. Well, let's just say children, because he does this to both men and women. For what child is not disciplined by his father? And if you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're an illegitimate child. You're not a true child. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Cling to this, you guys. It's a saving passage when he decides to bury you. The first thing you need to understand back in verse 7 is when he says he disciplines you. And this is not a word that, hey, you're bad, I need to spank your spiritual bottom. Okay? Discipline, was a, this word was the way that God would create in you what he wanted you to be. There was training, there was discipline, and there was instruction. And it was all consumed. And when you're a parent and you want your kid to be the best kid that you want, that's what you do. You train them, you instruct them, and you discipline them. And God's going to do that to us. So in other words, this is normal, okay? I think that's what verse 7 is saying to us. It's just normal to go through this. What son isn't disciplined by his father? But then in verse 8, when he goes on to say, you're an illegitimate child if you don't experience this. Okay? So again, 
We, if, if all of a sudden God starts to not make sense to you and, and it's like you can't figure him out and you've got questions of whether he's good or not, you need to remember, you guys, don't think this strange. If you're not, so in, basically, in other words, you don't discipline my kids and I don't discipline your kids, right? I mean, that would be really weird if I came over to your house and decided to discipline your kids for you because they're your kids. See, and what God is saying is, dude, if you don't get disciplined by me, then I don't know who you belong to. But if you belong to me, and I'm the father and you're the child, I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to train you up. And now it's not going to be very pleasant. It's going to be painful, he said. And so many times I feel like, oh, God, take this away. Like when you find stuff in your life you don't like, I'll say, God, please take this away. I'm much more cautious, and I wish I wasn't. Because when I say that, because basically he always goes, here, we'll take my hand. I'm like, oh, okay. And then you know what he does? He leads me right into the thing I asked him to take away. And you go, what is that all about? And he goes, well, if I just took it away, you could have fear that it might come back, right? But if you follow me into it, and I and you experience me in the midst of your fear, in the midst of your pain, and I'm there with you, and I help you to see there's nothing to be afraid of, then where's your fear? It's gone. So he'll lead you right into it. It's painful. And why does he do this, you guys? He says, so that you'll share in my holiness. Again, to be happy, not the way we want to be happy, but to really be happy. Read the Beatitudes. They're weird. Okay, It's upside down the way God thinks. It's not the way of the world. But you want to be happy, I'll make you happy, and I'll do that by making you whole. To be holiness, to share in his holiness, means now you can finally live like him. It means you can love like him. Your marriages can last. You can get along with your coworkers and the people around you and your family. You can have inner peace and joy. You can fight for what's right and not let things just happen. You can finally forgive because you realize, I have God and he makes me like him. That means I'll forgive anybody for anything because that's what he does for me. You start to get his character. And it's huge, you guys, that we experience this. He says, I do this, and again, back to John 15, so that you'll be more fruitful. See, here's what's wild. I might go out of the dark, but that's okay. When David was sitting over here, freaking out in the cave, and he was going through years of this struggle, what was going to happen to David? He was going to become the king of Israel. Do you think he needed some character for that? See, I think God is going, you know what, dude? I got amazing plans for you. Unbelievable. Okay, so now we got to go, we got to practice, all right? We got some training here to do. We got some discipline to do, because if I threw in you in the game right now, you would just get killed. I, I'm Alan Eckstein, he's one of our SOB members here. He told us about when he was doing kickboxing, and he has his black belt in kickboxing, but one time his instructor said, okay, your next thing is we're going to throw you in the ring with the champ. You know, so Alan hops in the ring on the champ, doo, doo, doo. it's like a Rocky movie, you know, boom, boom, and he just got obliterated. And I think sometimes God knows, oh, the plans I have for you are amazing. But if I let you go into them right now the way you are, you just, ugh, you don't want that. So, I'm going to prepare you for it. We have plans for you. I want you to be all pro. So what do you do, you guys? If all of a sudden God leads you to this place, the first thing you got to do is you got to let him. Submit to him. We've all submitted to our fathers. How much more should we submit to our Father in heaven and live? And live. I'll be totally honest with you. Most people who get to this phase, in the book it's called the wall. Most people who get to the wall, 
it's just too much. They try to go around it or over it or under it. Or you just turn around and you go, you know, hey, I'm, I'm good with just being captivated and grounded and, you know, valuable. <laughs> Let's just stay right there. And you never see what's on the other side of the wall. You end up playing high school football. Starting quarterback of Lapeer West Panthers. Jake Long, who's from Lapeer, Michigan, is going to be drafted fifth in the NFL draft probably this year. I think he's experiencing a little more than me. What do you want with God? He's going to take you through this if you want it. And then the second thing is, you guys, you got the work of God is to what? Believe. It's so hard to believe. To believe that he's actually good when there's pain. That's like, you know, Caleb right now, every time I, you know, discipline him, he's like, Dad, you mean. <laughs> no, dude, you were mean. That's why you're going in there. I'm loving you, you know, and I know you don't understand. I mean, I'm telling you, it's exactly what we do with God. God, you're mean. Oh, dude, come on. Just chill out. Get your time out. Let me bury you a little bit more. Prune that off. We'll be good. But faith is being sure of what you hope for, and it's certain of what you do not see. And yet Peter says, though you don't see him, now you believe in him. And the challenge, you guys, is to believe and to see him. The other thing you need to do is you just need to be honest with him, like David is. Cry out to him. Be honest with yourself. Don't try to act like you're all happy Christian boy and happy Christian girl when you're going through this. It's called suffering for a reason. Connect with people, but I'm telling you, man, please, you know, connect with people who aren't going to try to fix you. One of the best things about going through this is you stop trying to fix people. And the last thing you want anybody to do is fix you when you're going through this. You know what I want people to do? Just tell me the truth about God. Just tell me the truth about God. That's all I need. Dude, I'm, I'm this ugly caterpillar, and I'm in this chrysalis thing, and if you try to open up the chrysalis and save me from what God has in store for me, I'll never turn into what I'm supposed to be. Don't try to fix me. You know, yes, you see this budding rose, and you want to unpeel it to see what it's going to look like. No, let it go. So find people who will love you and who will support you as we go through this phase. But I'm telling you, the most important thing is if you can fix your eyes on Jesus when you're buried, you have a chance to get to the other side. And that's what we need to do. This whole year, what we're trying to help us to do is fix our eyes on Christ, and that's what we need to do. I'm actually going to sing a song that I heard when I was on an airplane last few months ago. Knew we were going to do this message, and I heard this song on the little deal that the airplane, and I just thought, oh my gosh, this is it. And I would love for you, if you would, I'm just going to, would you just close your eyes with me and make this a prayer for you about trying to get your eyes on Christ so that you can be established when the storm comes. And you can remember it comes, but it goes. But the sun is always shining. And just make this a prayer time for you right now. Would you submit to the Father of your spirits right now and live? And let him take you through the things he needs to take you through. And, um, and let's just take this time right now and make this our prayer.